I, I'm going to say a, a phrase or a, a word that I know runs the risk of uh, a few eye rolls, um, if not completely turning anybody off who hears it because we are absolutely sick and tired of hearing the phrase uh, COVID-19 or coronavirus, right? Uh, and yet I'm, I'm going to mention those for one reason. I want you to stop and think about what has been behind the last three months in terms of why is our culture, our country, the, the world, why are we so absolutely terrified by something like coronavirus? When you, when you put it into perspective, statistically speaking, the likelihood of you dying from it is very minimal, right? The likelihood is, is almost nothing. Granted, there are certainly obvious um, other demographics that are more at risk, but by and large, the chances of you dying from, even if you test positive, even if you catch coronavirus, are slim to none. So why is it that we are so absolutely terrified and for the last three months our, our country and much of the world has basically shut down in a lot of ways? Isn't it really, isn't it really a fear of the unknown? Again, it's not a, a fear of dying so much, but it's the fear of not knowing who has it or who's contagious or how you might get it. And because of that unknown, we take every precaution uh, that we possibly can. We're, we're cautious going out and with whom we spend our time with uh, as things start to relax a little bit. But it's really that fear of unknown. Think about it this way. If you had, uh, if you had the assurance that anybody who tested positive for, for COVID-19 immediately turned purple and you could see them from a mile away, would you feel a little bit better about going out and about? You'd be able to identify right away from quite a distance anybody who had it. So it'd be a lot easier uh, on, on you, wouldn't it, to see somebody who's purple and you just say, okay, I'm going to keep more than six feet. I'm, I'm going to go out of my way to stay uh, away from anybody that is purple so that I don't risk catching it, right? That's really what's driving the fear is the unknown of how you could catch it or who might have it. Uh, today in the, the first part of a, a two-part series, Fruit and Foundation, Jesus Jesus warns us of something similar, a threat that is really so scary because we can't see necessarily where it's coming from. Just as we aren't able to identify anybody who's tested positive with COVID-19 by, by being purple, Jesus says that those who pose a, a great threat to our spiritual health as well are also really dangerous because we're not always sure who they are. Jesus gave us a, a warning describing it, why it was such a, a threat and the, the fear really behind what he's warning us against is, is the prospect, the possibility of hearing these terrifying words from Jesus. I never knew you. Away from me, evildoer. That's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. Can you imagine hearing those words from Jesus who, who gave himself for you and for all people to then deny even knowing you, to say, away from me, I don't know who you are. And to be very clear, what Jesus is saying with those words is that heaven is not going to be the final destination for many people. Now, before you write that off as just, oh, here's the, the church, uh, as many people have the perception, the church just fear-mongering. Uh, if, if the church doesn't strike fear and preach fire and brimstone into the hearts of people, then, then it doesn't have any way to control people. Or this is just one pastor's opinion, right? But here's the thing, these words aren't my words, and these aren't the words of the church over time. These are the words of Jesus himself, who is warning us. And 
And what's really scary about this warning, as I already mentioned, is the possibility of recognizing or not recognizing the threat. Because Jesus tells us that those who pose this grave threat or great danger to our faith, they look like you and me. In fact, they're, they're going to, by all intents and purposes, not going to be having a, a sandwich sign or declaring out to the world, hey, um, you know when, when Jesus warned about false prophets and wolves in sheep's clothing and all that stuff? Hey, that's me, so watch out. No, Jesus' whole point here is that they're going to look like you and me. He used that illustration of a wolf in sheep's clothing. In verse 15 of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus warns us, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now, here's the thing. I think we have a tendency to latch on to the wolf part of that warning. And forget then, we think, well, all right, I just have to watch out for the wolves and I'll be safe, I'll be fine. But the whole point Jesus is making is not look out for wolves. He's saying they'll be dressed in sheep's clothing. You won't be able to identify them. They'll look just like you and me. You can do a Google search of that whole imagery, the, the wolf in sheep's clothing. And any pictures that come up, though some might have the wolf hidden a little bit better than others, the fact of the matter is you can identify that wolf really easily. But Jesus' whole point here in that illustration is that you won't be able to tell who the wolves are because they'll look just like sheep. They'll look just like you and me. And to further emphasize that, Jesus goes on to, to explain, to describe how surprised those people will be when he de denies them on that last day. They're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? Lord, Lord, Jesus says, not everyone who says it will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, who else is going to be saying, Lord, Lord? Who else is going to profess the Christian faith but Christians? Or at least those that would identify as such, that would label themselves, that would presume that they are Christians in their own minds. And so Jesus' warning here is, is here is the problem with this threat. It's that they look just like you and me. So this is a very serious threat and a very real danger. How are we to go about keeping on guard, watching out. Well, I would say that the first thing is to take Jesus' warning seriously, to actually take it to heart. And, and honestly, for, for a lot of, uh, of mainstream Christianity, for a lot of those that would quickly label or identify as Christian, that step would be a, a, a huge step because far too many are content with a first-grade faith that is, is content just being a, a bare minimum, just knowing the basics, no more, no less. And Jesus says, if you're going to take this warning seriously, then we need to, to grow up in our faith. We all, we all have that, that friend or maybe a couple of friends that, that really tend to imagine that everything is a, a worst possible scenario. They, they imagine and see every scenario as whatever can go wrong will. So anything is going to end in gloom and doom. They're afraid of, of everything. But that's probably not most of us. I, I don't think that most of us get too skittish when we see a caution wet floor sign, right? Most of us aren't hypochondriacs that, that fear that every sneeze or tickle in the throat is a symptom of some grave disease. That's not most of us. And therein perhaps lies the challenge in taking Jesus' warning seriously it's because we, we are perhaps so casual or comfortable with, with much around us in the world that, 
that we don't think that this warning is for us either, that that's for other people. When Jesus says, watch out for false prophets, he's talking to maybe unbelievers or people who are really weak in their faith. But the reality is, no, he's talking to you and to me. He's talking to anybody that would say, I am a Christian. Jesus is my Savior. He's saying to you and me, watch out. To put it another way, Jesus' point is here is, is to say, it's a very real danger and threat. It's entirely possible that we could be so deceived that we wouldn't even know we had been deceived and that our faith is a fake. You want to know how something like that could happen? Think of it this way. When, when is the last time that you recall being outside on, on a blistering hot day? Or maybe if you're in the Midwest, um, a, a horrendously humid day where it just feels gross and disgusting and you're out running your errands and you can't wait to get into an air-conditioned building, a grocery store to do shopping, uh, perhaps a, an office building to, to pay a bill, whatever it might be. The moment that you step from the outside and that, that heat or that humidity into the air, AC, you're freezing. It, it's bone-chilling cold, right? But then what happens after a little while, if you're shopping as you go about your business or you're in the office for a little while. It doesn't take too long and you suddenly get comfortable. Initially, it felt like you were just trading one extreme, the desert to the Arctic, one for the other, but now you're completely comfortable. Well, what, what changed? Did the manager observe that you were uncomfortable and say, hey, would you like me to, to adjust the thermostat so that you're more comfortable? No. What changed is you. Your body adjusted to the temperature. Your internal thermostat, so to speak, adjusted so that what initially was like an ice-cold chill now feels very comfortable. And if we're not careful, we can avoid Jesus' warning and the same thing can happen. What initially shocks us and, and seems to stand in stark contrast or contradiction to God's word, well, if we... If we're around that and in that situation long enough, we start to become comfortable. In fact, so comfortable sometimes that when others point out and observe how comfortable we've become in a dangerous situation, we lash out at them. We go on the defense and we say, who are you to judge me? You don't know what you're talking about because we don't even know how comfortable we've become. So the, the first step in in, in recognizing these dangers is to take seriously Jesus' warning. Because it is a, a very real threat for you and for me and for everybody who would call himself a, a Christian. What do we do after that? Well, Jesus hasn't left us without a, a next step. He says there is actually a way to identify those wolves in sheep's clothing. He says to look at their fruit. Jesus said in, in verses 16 to 20 of Matthew chapter 7, By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. I think Jesus' illustration there is, is so simple and so straightforward, it doesn't really need any explanation. He's simply saying that 
if you see bad fruit, that's the sign of a bad tree. And if you see good fruit, that's the sign of a good tree. So when you see the bad fruit, avoid it. Well, good. There's your, your second step. There's the, the key to watching out to, to avoiding these false prophets. Well, what if you don't feel so confident in your ability to determine or distinguish good fruit from bad? So I've been in the produce section of the grocery store, and, and I have to confess that when I am looking for whatever fruit uh, my, my wife asked me to grab or whatever looked good, I go around and, and I'll grab this fruit and I'll squeeze it and I'll turn it around in my hand and I'll replace it with a different one. And, and I'll do that as I'm looking through all the produce. And you know what? I don't know what I'm doing. I have just seen other people do that in the fruit section. I couldn't tell you what's a good fruit from a bad fruit. Is it supposed to be squishy or is it supposed to be firm? Do I want it ripe or do I not want it ripe so that it can sit a little while? What, what am I looking for? I honestly don't even know. So if you maybe can help me out with any pointers in the, the comments at some point, I'd appreciate that. But maybe you can relate to that in a, a spiritual sense. You feel like you aren't qualified to determine what is good fruit and what is bad fruit. There's so much out there, I don't even know where to begin. And here's about the worst thing that you can do in that situation. Because you might be so overwhelmed or lack any confidence in being able to distinguish or determine good fruit from bad, you eat nothing. For fear of making sure that you avoid all the bad fruit, you also starve yourself from the good fruit. And spiritually speaking, that's the worst thing you could do because if you are nutritionally deficient, if you are malnourished spiritually, then you are even more susceptible to those very false prophets that Jesus is warning against. If you're not feeding yourself with good food, then you're in an even worse place to be able to identify and watch out for any kind of false teaching. So the solution is, is not to avoid it, rather to grow in our ability to determine it. So I'm going to share with you uh, a few examples, just practically speaking, of things to watch out for. And here's what I'm going to do over the course of this week, uh, Monday through Friday, each of those five days, I'm going to share a little bit more in depth because I don't have the time here to go um, at length with each of these practical concerns or warning signs for bad fruit. But I'm going to highlight five of them right now, things to look out for, whether it's spiritual material that you're reading, music that you're listening to, or a sermon or a podcast or, or any content of a spiritual nature. Here are five things to watch out for to help you identify bad fruit. First of all is, is that God is, is generic. So as you're listening to or reading or digesting this material, if God is so generic that what is being said about him could also apply to somebody of the Muslim faith or the Mormon faith or the Jewish faith, so as essentially to say nothing about God, that's probably a sign of bad fruit. If there's no mention of the Trinity, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if you don't hear Jesus mentioned in the context of God, that's a generic God and, and bad fruit to probably be avoided. So that's the, the first warning sign of bad fruit. Another uh, to consider as you're trying to determine and, and decipher good fruit from bad would be um, also to recognize the downplaying of doctrine. When teaching is, is said to be not important, 
or as if somebody will approach Scripture and say, well, there's some really important teachings, and then there are some that aren't important. The only problem is that, that Jesus and Scripture itself never give us permission to approach his word that way. It's an all or nothing. It's, it's all important because it all ties to Jesus. And the minute we start to minimize or categorize different teachings or doctrines or downplay teaching altogether, then that's bad fruit. Think of it this way. They, they say that 80% of uh, being healthy and physically fit is from your diet. It's what you eat. Now, how would you feel if somebody found out that you were trying to, to get healthy and they told you, you know, just go out and live a healthy life. Do healthy things. But it doesn't really matter what you eat. Well, you know the outcome isn't going to be very good. It absolutely matters what you feed yourself with. And so spiritually, doctrine and, and teaching, this is the meat. This is the, the substance of what we feed ourselves with. So if that is downplayed, that's probably a sign of bad fruit. Another sign of bad fruit to the third one, and again, I'll, I'll talk about these this week a little bit each day, would be how somebody speaks about what we call the sacraments. Uh, in the Bible, Jesus has given us some blessings to continue to enhance, uh, to, to extend his grace to us. He gives us baptism, and he gives us the Lord's Supper. Now, now here's a telling sign. Is that being referred to as a requirement or refreshment? Because if somebody refers to baptism and the Lord's Supper as a requirement, as an act of obedience, as something that you do to show your love, your commitment, your obedience to God, then they kind of miss the whole point of the Old Testament, which, which really a lot of was God establishing, here's my Ten Commandments, but whoops, you aren't able to keep them. So why would Jesus give us more acts of obedience to keep to get right with him? No. The sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper aren't requirement, they're refreshment. God gives them to us to refresh our souls, to, to assure us that sin has been washed away and that sin has been paid for and forgiven. That's why we have baptism. That's why we have his body and blood in the sacrament. So to downplay those or to speak of it as requirement or refreshment is another sign of, of bad fruit to be avoided. The fourth one, we're almost there, the fourth one um, is is to recognize that sin is often sidestepped. If there is either a diminishing or a downplaying of sin or an avoidance, if you don't hear the word altogether, or uh, another correlation of this is that sin is either celebrated or approved of or permissible, that's a sign of, of bad fruit. Realize, though we have a Savior who paid for sin, to diminish it, to downplay it, to never speak of sin is actually quite a slap in the face to the one who thought it was important enough to give his life to pay for your sin and mine. So sin must be talked about so that we can rejoice in the Savior who overcame it and paid it for full uh, on your behalf and on mine. So that's the fourth one. And then the fifth one, and these aren't exhaustive. These are just five that I'll expand a little bit more uh, over the course of this week. The fifth one is solution. Is the solution yourself? or the Savior. There's a lot of look within yourself and find it in yourself to do this, that, or the other thing. And if you hear a preacher or you're reading a book that says it's in you, it's just yourself, it's the power of positive thinking, and that's how you're going to get right with God, that totally misses the boat. That the only solution to our sin is our Savior Jesus. And it's on that note that we, we kind of, I'm going to bring the, the message to kind of a close this morning to recognize that when we ask 
Why is this such a big deal that, that Jesus says to watch out? Why does he warn us uh, against false prophets? Do you know why Jesus warns you? It's because he cared so much to first win you. Jesus warns you because he cares so much that he first won you. And the price that he paid to make you his is not something that Jesus takes lightly. And though he warned of that very real possibility of of any one of us hearing those words away from me, I don't even know you, Jesus doesn't want to speak those words to anybody. His heart longs for everybody to, to receive the free and full gift of his grace and forgiveness won and offered freely to all people. To be assured that that no matter how much bad fruit you've eaten over the course of your life, he has forgiven that. No matter how many times you have dipped back into that and 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 you've taken a, a bite out of one piece of bad fruit after another, Jesus has forgiven that. He has washed that and every sin away. That's why he cares enough to warn you. Because he went to great lengths to win you. Not just for this life, but for eternity. So Jesus cares about what you feed yourself with now because he wants to spend not just now with you, but forever in heaven at home with him. So friends, being refreshed and reminded and reinvigorated with that truth that we are fully forgiven in Christ Jesus that, that we now want to grow in our faith, don't we? To, to be able to distinguish good fruit from bad. And being able to do that means that we're ready to then build on to the, the, the next step, which, which I, I hope you'll jump in next Sunday for as we'll share part two of this message, the foundation, and building your faith on a strong foundation. So we kind of talked about what not to do, what to avoid today. Next Sunday, we'll talk about what to do how God would have us grow, how our Savior wants us to build on that foundation. So I hope you can join again next Sunday. And in the meantime, this week and always, make sure that you are feeding yourself good fruit.